LGBTQ inclusive VRGs in the workplace. We've seen progress on LGBTQ plus rights worldwide, with several countries legalizing same-sex marriage over the past few years through legislative and court decisions, including Australia, Brazil, Cuba, Slovenia, Switzerland, and Taiwan, to name a few. Yet many LGBTQ plus workers continue to be closeted and do not bring their full authentic selves into their careers. More concerning, according to a recent global study completed by Statista, there are approximately 71 countries where members of the LGBTQ plus community can face criminal charges. While we have seen some advancement for equality, many efforts have fallen short. Now more than ever, we need LGBTQ plus business resource groups and allies to help cultivate an inclusive, safe, and respectful workplace for all. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm joined by my great co-host and partner in crime, Claire Marshall. Today, we're speaking with the extraordinary Javier Leonor. Javier was born in Segovia, Spain. He lived and worked in many countries. He finally found a second home in the city of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. He holds many degrees in telecommunications and studied in Spain, Germany, as well as the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. He's worked 20 years as an IT consultant, and then since 2018, he's taken a role in global inclusion diversity team at Accenture, where he leads the LGBTQ plus programs known as Pride at Accenture, among other programs that benefit through benefits, self-ID, leadership development. Javier is also a member of the Global Leadership Council of Workplace Pride and represents the center at the Partnership for Global LGBTI Equality. Welcome, Javier. Hello. Good, uh, good day. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited about this conversation and we so appreciate your time. Shall we jump in? Yes, by all means. So, Javier, one thing that really I'm really impressed with is that you are a true global citizen. You've got such a phenomenal career and story. Thinking back to when you started your career, were you always able to be open about being a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community? Well, the quick answer is no. I actually, I was not always out like most of uh, us in the community. I always knew that I was different, that it was something that it was not in line with, with what I was seeing around me. But actually, I never thought that it was something bad. So I never had any feelings of I am less than or I am worse than. I was thinking like I'm different and somehow I should keep it to myself. But I never had a bit of a, you know, like an issue with that. I was like, okay, that, that's me. And actually, when I started working, it was in my first job. I was not out. And I left that job without being out. And then I went to my second job. And then I, I was also not, not out. But actually, my, my boss then, uh, Harry, he actually invited me. We were having coffee one day. And he invited me for, uh, for his birthday party. And he said, why don't you bring a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend? And he kind of opened the door for me to say, I do have a boyfriend. So actually, um, I always remember Harry as the first ally that I had without really knowing what an ally was. Because at that time, you know, it was very many years ago. I was not even aware of what an ally was or what I was, to be honest. So I think um, I always think of Harry as the one who actually kind of gave me the, the push and the confidence to start being out. And from that moment on, then I was out at work all the time. I was in that company and any other company that followed. I just never uh, went back into the closet. Wow, that's so impressive. So then Harry really, really created that psychological safety for you. Is that what you would say? Yes, I think sometimes, you know, it's important. We will talk related about the importance of allyship and being an ally to others, not only for LGBTIQ+, but for any kind of um, underrepresented minority. So I think that uh, Harry was the one that, that showed me that what I didn't dare do myself, he was doing it for me. He was actually kind of saying, it's okay to be who you are. He also told me later on that his brother was gay, and that's why he could maybe see that I was also kind of hiding something, because I think when you're not fully yourself, 
people can see that, that you are kind of not disclosing some part of you, whether being LGBT or something else. So I think it's, um, it, was, it was kind of my first um, friend at work that I could actually um, be myself with. That's amazing, Javier. Thank you for sharing that. So Javier, I want to congratulate you and the center for being on the Human Rights Campaign Foundation Corporate Equality Index as a best place to work for LGBTQ plus workers for an impressive 15 years. Wow. How does a center connect Pride and a center to new employees to give them that sense of belonging? That's impressive, 15 years. That's like way ahead of so many other companies. Yes, uh, to be honest, we are very lucky because we have had a, our leadership was always very clear on inclusion and diversity. We started our first, I think, inclusion and diversity team, strategy, um, plan, whatever you want to call it, because back then it was, you know, it was much different than it is now. I think it was in 1995, so it was really like a long time ago that we that we started working on this. I think what we try to do is, is try to make sure that we are seen as a company that is inclusive for everyone, not only LGBTQ+, but everyone. And then we want to be seen like that, you know, from the outside of, of the company. But when someone joins the company, they should also have the same feeling. Because if you join a company with some preconception about this company is going to be like that, and then it's not, then you probably will leave the company and will not be, you know, as happy as you were. So what we do, for example, is when people join the company, they have what we call the new joiner days, like two or three days per country, where they get all these boring presentations about policies, guidelines, tools. You know them because I'm sure you have them as well <laughs> in your company. And uh, uh, during, I think it's the second or the first afternoon, we have um, dedicate, we dedicate that afternoon for inclusion and diversity and, you know, being yourself at Accenture. Uh, one of the things that we do is we have a panel with different leaders from the country. So basically, we are talking about Spain, Italy, South Africa, Brazil, Australia, wherever we are. And we make sure that the panel is diverse. So we have someone that is, you know, African-American. We have someone that is maybe LGBTQ+. We have someone that has a disability. We have someone that is a foreigner. You know, just try to be in some diversities here and there. And I think every country is different. It's not the same in terms of what you do in South Africa, what you do in China, that will change, you know, compared, you know, the, the demographics of the country. But we try to make people see that you can be different, you can be yourself, and you can be a leader at Accenture. We believe that it's important that when you join a company, it's in the first or the second day, that you will decide, will I stay in the closet or will I go out of the closet? And when someone sees someone like them, you know, being a leader or talking or, you know, being someone respect, you know, is respected, then they kind of, oh, maybe I can say that I'm gay. Maybe I can say that I have a disability. Maybe I can say that I'm coming from this place. So I think it's, it's really important to do that. I always say that my job, you know, being as a, the Global Pride Program lead is I don't want to get people out of the closet. I don't want to force anyone out of the closet. But I do want to make sure that if they open the door of the closet, they should find a big, fluffy red carpet that will welcome them. And I'm the carpet guy together with all my colleagues in Accenture. We want to make sure that the carpet is fluffy. In case someone wants to come out, they should be welcome. Oh, my goodness, Javier. That's amazing. I love that what you just said, a diverse group representation. I mean, that really leads greatly into our next question. Javier, as an executive leader, ally, and advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, I know diversity, representation, and engagement matters. You've just showcased that with just the new joiner program at Accenture. How does Pride at Accenture create the global opportunities for engagement on topics that are most important for your members while working across different time zones and languages? I think that that's, that's one of the good things about working on this for so long, to be honest. We have now around, I think it's 93 chapters or ERGs in uh, 93 cities or, and in 45 countries. So almost everywhere where we operate, we have, we have a network or an ERG. 
I think that the ideas we try to get them together. So we have uh, you know uh, quarterly calls in which we get together and we showcase South Africa or Argentina or you know the West Coast in case of you the US North America is divided in different regions. So we want to make sure that we kind of share the best practices from everyone. So we have also obviously uh, SharePoints and team channels and you know communicating. Uh, ways to, to ensure that we learn from what they do. I think what I'm always surprised is how creative people are around the world. Some people, you know, do things in Japan that you would think, wow, we haven't thought of that. I can I can give you an example. The, the team in Japan thought about creating a, a bot, you know, like a, a system that an employee could go and ask for a question like, I'm, I'm a transgender person, what support will give me Accenture? And then that bot will actually reply. So that basically means that if you're transgender and you don't want to tell your HR team because you don't you don't know yet what you want to say or not to say, you can go to that tool, ask for what will I get as a transgender person or as a, you know have a have a same sex couple, what will I get? And you don't have to come out to anyone, but you can still get the information from the HR system about what you will get, and that will give hopefully people confidence to come out later on. Obviously, that's the that's the goal at the end. So I think that happened in Japan, and then you know that that's something that we share around the world, so that if people want to replicate that, we do that. Another thing that we do is actually we learn from the community as well because you know if we look about 15 years ago or something like that, I don't think we were so um, used to use pronouns. You know, my pronouns are he, his. I think that now we all said it. You just introduce yourself with your own pronouns, which is great. Um, but you know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, that was not the case. So I think we we started seeing that in North America and in the UK and Australia. So I think you know we kind of pick things up from what we think you know is interesting, and then we replicate with the other ones. I think that's uh, that's really relevant. And another thing we also have, for example, uh, we celebrate all what we call the LGBTQ special days, which is for example Coming Out Day, Ida Hobbit, who that was you know recently as well. Any kind of things you know, making sure that we celebrate Lesbian Visibility Day, Non-Binary International Day. And then we showcase our employees and we try to showcase people from different areas in the world, you know, from Italy, from Poland, from, you know, I don't know, China, India, Philippines. Try to make sure that we do not show that there is one way of being LGBTQ at Accenture, but we want to have a diversity of people and identities that will be represented in, in our comms. And we do that internally, but also externally. So basically, you will see also our leaders, you know, our CEO, our chair officers kind of sharing things and, and blogs and, and interviews with people. And that kind of gives an impression that we are a big family together and we create a bit of a momentum. So when, when someone, you know, sometimes you have less energy and you want to do less things, actually, you can actually chip in from someone else. We use, usually, for example, have a, a very huge group in, in ASG, which is Austria, Switzerland and Germany. And they do things together all the time. So basically, when they do an event, which most of them are virtual in the, in the, you know, the last years, they will actually invite the whole three countries. So basically, if you do something in Frankfurt, someone from Switzerland or someone from you know, Vienna could also join. So we try to share as much as possible. I remember once we did a drag queen event, you know, like a fun event, just not educational, but just to have fun with, with the community. And it was hosted in Amsterdam. And we had people from Singapore, from India, from San Diego. The time zones, I was like, are you having breakfast or are you having a cocktail? You know, you never knew what people were doing because <laughs> the thing is, those things bring people together because you realize actually that you have fun in San Diego or in Manila. And that was really interesting to, to see how everyone kind of responds to those kind of community building events. Wow. I love the analogy to family, Javier. That was very, it sounds like a big, 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 diverse and intersectional family. I love that. I love that analogy. That's amazing. We try, we try. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went on a cruise in January and they had a drag queen brunch. And I thought, wow, we've really evolved you know, <laughs> as, a, as a society. There's an actual brunch called the Drag Queen Brunch. So, 
<laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So thank you, Javier. That was very insightful. And I'm going to pass it now to the lovely Claire Marshall. Claire? Hi, thank you. And uh, yeah, my name is Claire Marshall and my pronouns are she, her. Javier, one of the things that we hear a lot from employees is that they want more time to get involved. They want to be involved in a BRG. They want to volunteer their time. You mentioned you've got 91 different groups with almost 120,000 members within those groups. So how do you get that CEO level support for your members? And then do you have any dedicated resources to run those 91 networks or is it solely volunteer based? That is, thank you, Claire. That is the one million dollar question. I think, or maybe many, no, not one million, maybe more millions than one. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I think that before I had this role, you know, I'm part of the global ID team as a HR person here. I was the volunteer or the lead, basically, of the Dutch network here in Amsterdam. So I know very well the, the balance between your your day job and the other job that you have that you that you want to do and you want you want time for it as well. So I have to say, in Accenture, we have in most countries we have that every employee has certain days to do volunteering work. But that's not enough to do all the ERG work. So if you ask me, I think most of the work is still volunteer work in terms of people don't get time for that. They they do get recognition. You know, we have ways to recognize people and make sure that they feel valued for what they do because it's very important. But I think I would say most of it is just um, volunteering work. I think that we have lots of resources. You know, um, budget is, I have to say, we don't have millions in that respect. You know, there's always a limit to the budget. But I think if you come with, someone comes with a good idea, there's never a problem with budget because we can go there or there or there to get it. I think the idea has to be there and has to be good and has to be impactful. So I think, uh, you know, just to, so, you know, this year, oh, I'm going to repeat that. This year, we're going to launch actually an art activity and we are encouraging everyone to talk about pride inclusion or LGBTIQ plus inclusion through art. So we're going to ask all our offices to paint things, to be sculptures, to do, you know, mosaics whatever they want to make sure that uh, we engage them locally and then we'll have like a bit of a winner. That all those things cost money, but at the end we, we have really great support from our leadership. And I think budget is, is almost never a problem. You know, it's not unlimited, but never a problem. I think that the way that the teams manage the, the workload, which is kind of what you were asking as well in the beginning, is that we usually have one or two leads, two colleagues, basically. We try to have, you know, also diverse leadership in the local chapters and then they usually have what I call the core team, which is five, six people, maybe sometimes 10, and they kind of share the workload. So when something comes that needs to be done, it's six people that have to do it, and then actually that makes it easier. We also have some, some teams, like, for example, the ASG, the one in Austria, Switzerland, Germany, or the one in Australia and New Zealand, that have 30 people, three zero, 30 people in the, in the core team I'm talking about. So basically, the people who are kind of rolling up their sleeves and doing things. And, and when you have 30 people, actually, everyone can participate. And, and you know, the, the heavy lifting is kind of easier to, to do. So I think, again, mostly volunteering. I think we would like to maybe have a bit more dedicated time for this. But at the moment, it's mostly volunteering. Yeah. I also help and volunteer with ours as well. And one thing I learned at an Out and Equal conference was you call it, I have my day job and I have my gay job. <laughs> which I really enjoyed using. Um, And I've always found it really helpful to just share with my manager. Here's how much time I expect to be spending. And they've really helped me protect that time. So because they do acknowledge how much it gives back to the business. And so having that support from your manager is key. Yeah, I think it's important as well that when you have your performance review or your you know your yearly performance, that actually you put, I put that or, or people put that, you know, I work on this opportunity. I work on this initiative. I helped, you know, People with disabilities have helped, you know, it's actually maybe not a dollar sign that you can attach to that, but it's actually a lot of, you know, inclusion that that should be recognized somehow. 
Yeah, that's great. And thinking through my work as the co-chair for our Global Pride BRG, I'm kind of curious, what best practices could you share and what makes Pride and Accenture such an impactful BRG? I think one of the things that we are really we have really succeeded on is having allies. You know, we have these allies and, and this is a podcast, so you don't see me, but actually you have these lanyards that you probably have similar as well. And we have 120,000 more or less, 119, 20,000 allies. Basically, it means that one out of five employees, more or less, is, is an ally, a pride ally. We also have allies for gender, for disability, for, you know, any other thing. But I think it's important. It's the largest group. So when you go to the office in uh, Sao Paulo, or you go to the office in Atlanta, or you go to the office in Paris, you will see people wearing this. And you will feel at home a little bit. So I, I think we have been able to have global programs and, you know, global guidelines. We want to get there. We want to get there. We want to do that. But we have always allowed freedom locally to do things the way they want to do it. So, for example... We have been working to make sure that we have equal benefits, you know, and that we have also gender-affirming benefits in most of our countries. And that takes time. You have to allow everything. So basically, it's not that the, the corporate office can dictate what things are being done or not, but we, we want to make sure that we allow uh, time and room and space for people to, to do the local thing as well. So I think some countries will help us to review the language in the policy. You know, you have a language in French or in German, we cannot do that from the corporate office, but the local team, the local PRG can actually help us doing that and making sure that the, the language there is inclusive and is not gendered, you know, and it's actually using the right one. They help us, for example, with, with some of the events that we organize. You know, we, we just had an event yesterday, I think in Toronto, that we had, and there was a local team who actually did everything on behalf of the of, of, of a global initiative as well. So that's kind of a thing that, that we do. We have local trainings. I think we have a, a training that we love about gender identity and sexual orientation and gender expression that was created in Australia. They work, they have a passionate team. I told you there are 30 people there, so they, they have enough resources to do that. They did a wonderful training. Actually, all of the countries are copy, copy pasting that. You know, we are kind of reusing that. And then, again, you can customize, you can change a few things, if, or the language maybe is not always the same, but you can do that. And some of them, like the UK or the US, we have great engagement with clients, actually. And then, and then it's where actually people start realizing, oh, wow, it's not only about inclusion, it's about actually outside of the company and sharing your values uh, beyond. And we have a great partnership with CVS uh, in the US, and we have had like, you know, probably, I think it's six, seven, eight sessions, online sessions, where actually we talk about equity for LGBTIQ plus people. It's about health, mental health, vaccinations. I mean, different topics that actually are relevant for the community. And, and that's something that the CVS team, obviously, uh, kudos to them, and our US team are doing. So I think every country, every network has a bit of a different stage of where they are, but they all manage to kind of to chip in and, and help where they can. One of the things that we also get is actually we have employees who are telling us, for example, this document is not inclusive for non-binary people, or this document, or this tool is not allowing me to say that I'm non-binary. And then we kind of go to our IT systems and we try to improve things. So I think they, it's a bit of a continuous circle. We're never done. We're never finished, to be honest. I, I wish we were, but I think we're not. And we keep learning every day. But I think it's nice to kind, to kind of have a bit of them. They are kind of representing the community towards, towards the corporate you know, organization to make sure that we kind of listen to them and learn from them because I think they, they know better what they need. I know what I need in, in Amsterdam, but I know what is needed in China or in India or in South Africa. So let's let's listen to them so that they can help us. And I think we have a fluid conversation. I think we talk a lot. I, I know everyone almost personally, I have to say, because before COVID, we used to have lots of traveling. So I think, um, and that helps, you know, when they need something, they have a problem, they come to me. And when I have something, I go to them. And that's kind of an issue that can be easily solved if that happens. So uh, I think communication, fluid communication, and generally caring for each other is key to make sure that it's, a, it's an impactful group. 
Yeah, that's great. And certainly having that 120,000 network of allies has got to make a lot of that work easier. You know who to go to, you know folks who are going to support your initiatives and really has to make that work a lot more easy for you to do. Curious, just thinking more about that allyship, do you have any tips or anything for cultivating more allies into the workplace? How did you get that 120,000 and how can other companies do the same? I think that we are very lucky to be, and we lose some because people leave the company, so we have to keep making new allies, obviously. I think that the, the importance of allies, and, and you probably will, will see the same thing, is that you know we all have great policies. If you look at our portal or our, you know intranet or whatever you call it, we always have great policies. Everything is fantastic. You know, we include everyone. We don't discriminate. But actually, the reality of a company is what happens when you have a coffee, when you have a meeting like the one we're having now, when you go to the printer and you bump into someone, when you have a meeting escalation, when you go for lunch. You know, that's when really moments of inclusion can happen or moments of exclusion could happen, you know. And, and that's what I think we have the allies to make sure that, you know, when they wear the lanyard and they show, or, the, or a pin or whatever they wear, they have the chance to, to correct things because sometimes things are said that maybe are not well intended or, or you know, that maybe they're offensive or something like that. It's good for them to say, like, you know, we always tell them, you know, it's good to, you, you can do three things, you know, if you have a situation that you kind of do not like, you can actually, if you feel strong enough, you can correct that situation at the moment and say, by the way, this is the thing that you're saying, I'm not sure if this is what you mean, but it's very offensive. Or you can maybe, after that, go one-on-one and say to someone, you know what you said last week, you know, that was not really maybe what you wanted to say, but it was not really well perceived. Or the third option would be to report to the HR team or to the compliance team, you know, which is one thing. And I think we keep always having the small videos to educate our allies. We just launched a new campaign called Allies in Action. And we have like 10 minutes videos in which they can see inclusive behaviors, you know, what to do when this happens, what to do when that happens, not only for LGBTQ+, but also for disability, for race and ethnicity, for gender. So I think it's, it's a bit of a variety. I think when, when people wear the lanyards about being a pride ally, I think they're saying, I'm okay with you being different, and I will stand up if someone is doing or saying something that is not in line with what we have at Accenture. So I think it's a bit of a... I'm okay with you being different and I, I like to learn more about you. That's, that's what it's saying. And I think having so many people doing that, that's great. I think we, we kind of owe that to the local teams, the local ERGs, actually. They're doing campaigns. They do lunch and learn sessions. They do bingo sometimes, as I said. So we try to kind of have local events so that they stimulate people to become an ally. And then we obviously have communications you know, that come from global or whatever. But I think the local teams are the ones making sure that we, that we keep the number of allies or that we even grow them if possible. So I hope that, you know, with the Pride Month coming up, I hope that we will get again 20,000 more allies or even more if possible, to be honest, and see, you know, because sometimes it's not only about helping the employees, but sometimes you have an ally that could be the father of an LGBTQ person or the grandfather or, you know, and then it's like they are so thankful that they're getting, you know, tips and tricks and, and knowledge to know how they can communicate with their children or with their parents or with their family or neighbors. So I think being an ally is kind of, um, it's kind of a, a gift to be honest, for someone that wants to learn about someone else. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, I don't really think about it too much, but we do find in our own group that our allies are using us as a personal resource as well for their own children and family members and, and just creating that community and that safe space that they can talk to their, their peers and their coworkers has been really helpful. That's really cool. You know, one study that I became aware of recently, McKinsey and Company published a really great report called Diversity Wins, How Inclusion Matters. And it states that companies need, quote, a systematic and business-led approach to inclusion and diversity. And certainly Accenture has truly got that integrated approach. What advice do you have for companies who are just getting started in their LGBTQ plus business groups? And how can they make them more integrated and business-led? 
I think is, that's the goal, to make them, you know, part of the business structure and, you know, to be fully aligned with the strategy of the company, I think. But that's not how the ERGs or BRGs or, or networks started. You know, it started because, you know, you find a common group of people who have similar interests or similar, you know, affinities, and then they, they want to kind of share experiences. You know, that's what they do. I think, you know, Accenture is a big company. We have lots of employees, obviously, and we have been um, creating a framework. We, we always have frameworks. We are consultants, so we are um, or nerds sometimes, depending on how you look at it. So we created a framework and we have actually four stages of, let's say, ERGs. We have four levels of ERGs in terms of the maturity. We have what we call foundational. We have programmatic. We have strategic and integrated, which is the one that you were mentioning at the beginning. Foundational would be, you know, and we have them all over the place because to be honest, what, what happens in New York is not the same as what happens in, let's say, Hungary, in, in Budapest, you know. New York is much more advanced than, than Budapest in that respect. So I think we have all kinds of flavors and we have all kinds of, you know, some of just, you know, creating contact events in which people get to know each other. And, and that's fine. You, if you have that at the moment, you, we just launched networks in Thailand and in um, Bulgaria last year. And they are at that level. You know, they're creating community, they're creating allies, they awareness, and that's fine for them because they really have to learn to work, you know. Baby steps are important. They have to take baby steps before they can run. Um, other ones, like, for example, you know, the UK, Australia, the ones in the US, you know, Chicago, San Francisco, Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia, they're way advanced. You know, they actually create events with clients. They invite clients to a film festival. We do things together. So basically, then, then they're really integrated into the fabric of the business. And that's where you get. So I think we have this kind of creative model with the four stages that I mentioned. And, uh, and we kind of place them in there and, and show them a little bit. This is where you are now. And that's fine where you are. You don't have to worry about where you are. But just know that the next step could be this one. You know, Because I think, that, again, we're talking about volunteering work. So we cannot tell people you need to get to integrated or strategic. You know, We have to make sure that we give them the grace to move when they are ready to move. So that's what we do. And again, I think I'm really happy. We are working to launch a couple of new ones because we're still launching new new chapters. And they will be very basic. It's about, for example, having drinks during Pride at the office. And that would be a very humble start for that network, but that will be the beginning. And that's the important thing, to, to not, not stand still, keep moving. That's what I say. Yeah, that's very motivational. Thank you. I, I think sometimes you can get caught up of, of where you are and you know where you want to be, you know, but starting that first step somewhere is is the beginning to any journey. So I appreciate that strategy. And I'll pass it back to you, Andra. All right. Thank you, Claire. And wow, Javier, you brought some really beautiful nuggets and insights today. I, I, I'm sitting back taking notes and <laughs> seeing what else we can do to elevate our strategy. So amazing. I really enjoyed you, your time for sure. So Javier, one last question. I'd love to ask our guests, what do you want your legacy to be that your family and loved ones remember the most? That's a nice question. I've never been asked that. So I, I feel like what most people probably would want to read or to, or to hear from your loved ones is like, I think it would be nice if they said that I was a nice guy, that I was a nice person and that I tried to help others. But somehow I always get, so I think being a nice guy and trying to help others in many ways, you know, that's also why I like meeting you today because I think whatever we have learned, whatever we have done wrong, Happy to tell you that you don't have to do it so that you don't have to make a mistake that we made sometime, you know? But I think at the end, I always get something like, um, he's the funny guy. I'm always the funny guy everywhere. So my husband is the handsome one and I'm the funny guy. And I'm happy with that as well. So I think, I think uh, um, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I'm happy to, to do what I do. I think I love my job and, and I think that shows and that, that kind of uh, shows internally and hopefully also externally with, with you as well. But I think that um, I think I'm lucky to, to do what I do every day and to get paid for it. So I think... Um, that's that's what I think, you know, is, is what I do it for. And again, being a nice guy and helping others is what I want to do. Yes. 
I'm going to help you rephrase that. You're you're not only funny, but you're also handsome. So I don't know why you say your husband's handsome. For our get listeners out there, Javier it could be a Calvin Klein model. He is phenomenal. So I don't know what he's talking yes, about. I can so. this is a podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. <laughs> this is a podcast. <laughs> You've got two people verifying that Javier is very handsome. Very charming, handsome, and just a beautiful soul. Thank, Thank you, Javier. Thank you so much, Georgia. Thank you. You really brought some powerful points for us and advice for our listeners today. And thank you, Claire, my brilliant co-host today. Shout out and thank you to Tracy Goldstein, our mastermind coordinating this podcast. Also, I want to give a big thank you to our listeners globally. We appreciate your support. In the words of Jason Collins, openness may not completely disarm prejudice, but it's a good place to start. Remember, when we celebrate equity, diversity, and inclusion, we celebrate humanity. Be sure to spread the word and tag our hashtag, Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. Real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the Diversity Deep Dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a positive difference in the world, your workplace, and community. Thank you.